Well, you'll notice from your bulletin that we've come to a rather special sermon uh, this morning, which is emphasizing our 2020 vision um, emphasis. And uh, in particular, this morning, you'll see that we're looking at learning. So we have four core values, fellowship, learning, outreach, and worship. And the central vision is this proclaiming the gospel, the gospel-centered kind of church with the gospel at the heart of everything, changing us by what Jesus has done for us so that we can live for him in every area of our life, living as people who are filled with grace and mercy rather than legalistically, or giving into license and sinful behavior, instead filled with his spirit, empowered by the gospel, then these four core values. Now, this is the booklet we produced, and you'll find copies of it at the back on the information table. I just want to read out for us as we, as we begin this special sermon. We're going to get into God's Word, but I want to read out for us the um, paragraph we produced with relation to 2020 vision impact as it relates to learning. So let me just read that out for us to have some of this language refreshed in our mind. We produced this booklet back in September, I believe, and so it's been around for a while. As I say, it's on the information table, but let me just read this out for us. 2020 vision impact as it relates to learning. Prayerfully, our commitment to Bible learning will result in us developing into a place for training in Christian ministry and discipleship. We aim to be significantly involved in training everyone for Christian ministry, with a renewed emphasis on the next generation of Christian leaders, pastors, and missionaries. Potential learning vision includes a training center for Bible teachers, increasing the number of our ministry residents, adding an intermediary level to our training program, and multiplying our network of ministry opportunities locally, regionally, nationally, and globally. We pray for church revitalization and planting, as well as missionary service, all coming out of, of God's Word, out of a commitment to, to learning. Now, the passage we're looking at this morning as we think about this particular core value, and of course there are many in the Bible, given it's about the Bible, we could choose many. Um, hello, are you there? You are, good. Um, we're looking at Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Now, if you turn actually to your Bibles, that will help, as usual. Uh, but Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, I'm going to read just around the context of that verse. Excuse me. So I'm going to start at verse 10. If my voice sounds particularly deep this morning, I have something going on in my throat. So forgive me. Uh, <clears throat> there we are. That's better. Uh, Verse 10, we're going to start there. Obviously, this is about the noble Bereans. If you've been in church circles for a long time, you would have heard of the noble Bereans, the Bereans who are very noble. And so, uh, verse 10, we're going to look at the context. I'm going to read a verse 12. But the particular verse that I really want us to think about this morning is verse uh, 11. So, let me pray, and we're going to turn to God's Word. Father, help us to be disciples, 
of Jesus. Genuinely, truly, in every way. To be learners of him. And with that focus, to be people who make disciples, to help other people become learners of him as well. We ask your spirit to come to your word, to illuminate it for us, to open our hearts. Help me to preach it well. Help us to all listen well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my friends, beginning at verse 10 of chapter, seven, uh, chapter 17. This is God's word. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Now, I would like you to enter into the power of this description of the Brian model of church with its emphasis on learning from the Scriptures. I want you to enter into this so that we understand why they were examining, why they were doing so with eagerness, why they were doing it every day, what made them such an exemplary model, so noble. I want you to enter into that by um, way of a little narrative at the beginning, a little story. I want you to imagine that you have gone to your favorite baseball game. Maybe it's the White Sox. Maybe it's the Cubs. Could be either. You're safe. It's okay. There you are at uh, the game, at the ballpark. And you're really into it. It's the beginning of the season. You're excited. You're there. But the game is pretty boring, to be honest. Even more boring than cricket. (laughs) The best thing about this game is that you have got your favorite Chicago hot dog with all the relish. (sighs) And then someone knocks your arm and it drops on the ground. It's that kind of day. Nothing is happening. No one has scored a run. No points on the board, nothing's going on, it's just hard to stay awake. Then suddenly on the announcement system, you know, the, the tannoy, the announcement system, there's a break from the music, no longer are they saying, let's go to the ballpark or the ball game, whatever it is. Suddenly comes your name. What? Bill Smith, or Jane Smith, 
whoever you are, your name. And you think, well, it must be someone else. And then they give your seat number. And everyone is looking at you now. They're kind of staring at you. Bill Smith, we want you to come down to the dugout. You are next to step up to the plate. Really? Me? And eventually everyone pushes you down and down you go. Everyone's watching. Are you interested in the game now? This is the difference between a spectator sport, sometimes interesting, sometimes not, and actually getting involved personally. What you see here is the Bereans didn't treat Paul and Silas like a spectator sport. They actually eagerly examined whether these things be so. They were involved. Now, why is that? So first, let's think. Why get involved? Well, this verse 11 that is the the heart of the passage that we're looking at this morning gives several reasons to get involved. Here's one. The Bereans here show us that it's only as we get personally involved with the learning and the teaching that we discover whether these things are true. Someone can say this is what the Bible says. Someone can write a book saying this is what the Bible says. But until you actually go to the Bible yourself and eagerly examine it, you won't find out whether it is true. So they were eagerly involved, examining the Bible, doing so daily. Now let's contrast that with some common ways of going about Christianity today. Consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is sort of involved, but only in the sense that it's a product that you can buy. And if you don't like the store because it's not selling the product you like, you can go to a different store and get a different sort of product. They didn't look at Paul and Silas and say, well, I'm not sure I want to buy that product. I'm not sure I want to buy that Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, I'm going to buy a different product. They were not treating this as a commercial transaction. This is not consumer Christianity. They were discerning a different kind of issue at stake. Not consumer Christianity, but instead, truth, reality, how things actually are. That's the claim that Paul and Silas are bringing, and the Bereans clearly realize it. They don't just say, well, Paul and Silas, I'm not sure I like the fact that you're wearing a suit to the synagogue this morning. And Paul and Silas, oh, that's very interesting, but actually I prefer this kind of music. 
Or Paul and Silas, that's very nice, but actually I would much rather the architecture of uh, the building that we are in were different, and so I won't listen, I'll go to a different synagogue. This is not a consumer product to purchase as an addition to a lifestyle. It is not a designer label on our clothes. It is not a product. There is a person There's a claim of truth about that person, Jesus, that he is the Messiah. They realize that that claim of truth about that person, if true, will radically alter their whole lives if Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures, if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the one that all the Old Testament Scriptures spoke about, Isaiah the sacrificial system. Leviticus is even about Jesus. Really, Paul and Silas? Yes, it is. That all this is pointing to Jesus, then there's no need for sacrifice anymore. They don't need to worship at the temple because by His Holy Spirit they can worship anywhere through the Spirit and truth. Now, Gentiles are not simply God-fearers on the outside of the synagogue. They are included by faith in the new people of God. Now, they are not simply a light on the hill waiting for people to come to them. Now, they have a commission to go to all nations. For Jesus is the Savior for all people. Every tribe and every nation and every color and every race, and every class. There's a claim of truth about Jesus being the Messiah, the one to whom all the Old Testament Scriptures are pointing, and they discern that, not a product to purchase, not a nice addition to a comfortable lifestyle, but a claim of truth about reality. That's why they get involved. They don't need any extra motivation. They realize that if it is true, it will change everything. I like the story of William Faulkner and Ernest Hemingway. Apparently Faulkner and Hemingway had a little sort of verbal spat. Faulkner criticized Hemingway saying... Hemingway has never been known to use a word to send a man to a dictionary. It's quite a criticism of an author. And Hemingway apparently replied, Poor Faulkner, does he really think big emotions come from big words? Which is an interesting reply. When we think about learning, we are not simply thinking about getting more and more sophisticated. Oh, that's fine. We're not simply thinking about wordiness. Words. Though I love words. And always have. Onomatopoeia. What a great word. Disestablishmentarianism. Fantastic. We are talking about the words... The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. 
The revelation of Jesus Christ, which the Old Testament points to, which the New Testament records, the living word, which if received, will change your life. Your life. Not just wordiness, not just cleverness. The reason why we as a church are committed to the exposition of Scripture is not because expositional sounds like a clever word. It is because we believe that the Bible is living and active and my job as a preacher is to get out of the way and let Jesus speak through his word. So the Bereans realized that as Paul and Silas preached, there was a claim of truth being made about a person. Jesus the Christ. That's why they got involved. That's why they didn't sit back and just say, oh, I might buy that, I'm not sure. If this is true, their lives have changed. And if it's true, they better believe it because that is God's salvation plan through Jesus and Him alone. In Him, that is by faith in Him, by trust in Him alone. All the Old Testament scriptures point to him, not to him and ten other people, to Jesus. Not a spectator sport, they realize, not a product to purchase, to buy. So that's why to get involved. How? How do you get involved? It's very good to say, yeah, you really need to get involved in this thing. How do you get involved in it? Well, again, the Bereans, the reason why they're called so noble and so well-known is they're a good model for how to get involved as well as why to get involved. So again, look down at verse 11, and you'll see there that they model how to get involved. They say, Uh, Luke tells us uh, in his description various things about what they're doing. They're examining with eagerness. They're receiving. They're doing this every day. There's a model of enthusiastic involvement that is not just behind it a description of why to get involved with God's Word, why to be a learning people as a church but also how. How? How can my life be changed by this learning? How can my life be changed by this learning? This learning will change your life. How? Here's how. Four ways to get involved. L, listen. So it says they received the word. So in order to be saved, the word needs to be received or trusted or accepted, actually grasped hold of. This is listening in the sense of accepting. That's why actually they are described as noble. Uh, Of course, the word originally simply meant higher class, But it came to mean adopting the characteristics of the ideal of the nobility. And in this context, that meant actually listening, actually 
receiving. Luke is saying they are a class act. Listen. Now you may think coming to church and sitting in the pews and singing the hymns and praying when there's a congregational prayer and listening when someone is preaching is all rather passive, but you are wrong. This is an active experience, or it should be. For God's Word to penetrate your heart requires not only that the Word is delivered, but also that it is received. The sowing of the seed is only as fruitful as the receptivity of the soil. And we've become so used to passive, spoon-fed models of learning that we've forgotten the skill of active listening. Could this be true? How does this impact my life? Is this really what God's Word is saying? What is there in this that God is telling me to do, to change, to believe, to hope right now? Active listening. To look for a specific word from God for you. In other words, have you ever seen the show American Idol? Anyone here not seen it? And the person does their little rendition and they sing and then the judges give their awards. In church... The performance is also the listening. How are you doing at listening? Bring that same approach to small groups, adult communities, L, listen. I, inspire. Inspire. So they receive the word with all eagerness. And in doing so, they've become a model for people all down through the years of this kind of Bible-centered, learning, enthusiastic, Scripture-focused Christianity. So you may not be a teacher, but in your serving in a supportive way of teaching ministries, you are being an inspiration, potentially, to people all around the world. So who is more important, the person at the podium or the person at the sound desk making sure what is said can be heard? The person sitting on the chair in the adult community class or the person making sure there are chairs to sit on? The person serving in a teaching role or the person serving in the nursery to make sure that people can hear the word being taught? There is an inspiration that can come about by simply being a model of serving so that this kind of ministry can take place. Uh, I inspire. L, listen. I inspire. F, feed. They were looking to see if these things be so. Well, what things? The things that Paul and Silas 
had taught them. So part of the model here is not only being trained in God's Word from the Berean standpoint, the listening and the inspiration to support the possibility for such training, but also from the Paul and Silas side, being active ourselves in training others in God's Word. So the reason why the Bereans searched the Scriptures so carefully is, of course, because Paul and Silas made their case depend upon the Scriptures. They actually dug into the Bible in their exposition. They opened the Bible. They fed from the Bible. They did so in a responsible way so that you could look to see if what they were saying was true. If these things be so, if all the Scriptures point to Jesus or not. So they didn't just use the Bible like, as the old joke is, a drunken man uses a lamp post for support rather than illumination, if you see what I mean, which you don't, plainly, you know. In other words, not just leaning on it for what you want to get out of it, but letting God's Word actually shed light on it. They didn't just use the Bible as someone jumps on a trampoline, you know, here I'm going to start here and then I'm going to end up somewhere else. It actually, their whole case evidently relied on what this said and therefore the Bereans went to it to find out whether these things be so. And so that teaches us that we should train people in biblical Christianity to feed them. F. Feed. Feed your family, husbands, father. Be the spiritual leaders of your home. Sometimes people say to me, how can I be a leader as a man in my home? It starts with spiritually modeling your own lifestyle and leading by God's Word to lead in getting up early to have devotional times yourself. In leading in feeding your family by answering the questions your children have from God's Word, by leading, by answering the questions that are given around the table from God's Word, by being active in understanding the Bible so that you can feed your family spiritually, to be a provider in that sense as well. Feed your children Pastors, feed your flock. Teachers, feed the Word. There is a hunger for the Word of God. So many churches are stepping back from biblical ministry because they think expositional ministry means boring ministry. We need a Spirit-inspired, full-blooded commitment to God's Word that we model, as the noble Bereans did, by listening being an inspiration, serving, supporting that in serving ministries and actually feeding and training this generation, the next generation, making the most of our location here in Wheaton to be a church that can be a springboard to train people for the American church and all around the world. Listen, inspire, feed, and then E, evangelize. So verse 12, many of them therefore believed the Jews and the Greeks. And so what you had then in the synagogue was you had the 
the Jewish people with the Greek God-fearers who were all listening in to what Paul and Silas were saying. So when we emphasize Bible expositional ministry, it does not mean that we are excluding the possibility that someone, as we do that, might come to know Jesus. Now, this is their technique for outreach as well. Two go together. Could these things be the case? Now, of course, they develop a slightly different strategy in, in Athens when they're dealing with those who are outside the covenant community and not familiar with Bible things. Uh, uh, people have said that these days we first have to show people that Christians are okay, not weird. God is good, not freaky. And only then can the gospel be engaged as true, not a myth. Yes, okay, so people are further back these days when they are in an Athens-like situation. That is, outside of God's covenant people and unfamiliar with the scriptures. But even then, he uses the Bible. And so in our church, as we emphasize learning, we do it in such a way that has one eye towards those who gather with us to see if these things be so. Learning by being involved, which leads to a changed life. Listening, inspiring, feeding, and evangelizing. I remember once going to a summer camp and noticing that there were two teenagers not involved. I was told about this, and they sat on the sidelines watching, and as they observed, Other people rushing around playing tennis, going water skiing, backpacking, climbing, doing art, drama, swimming, and everything else you can imagine. And finally, they went home saying, there's nothing to do here. You see, sometimes we can be a bit like that with church. We sit back in the the bleachers. By the way, if I was coming to this church, I would sit right up there, top, top left, right at the back. Just so you know my character, so don't feel I'm having a go at you. I think that's the best seed in the house. You can hide. I know. I love it. <laughs> that's fine. So you can sit up there, but, but actually to be involved by listening. So you could be at the stage of life where you're saying, is this really true? Am I actually going to commit my whole life to this? Not just to watch, to, to listen to be an inspiration by serving, to feed and train as well as being trained, to have a model that will be evangelistic as we're learning, to actually engage brain like the Bereans and enter service like Paul and Silas, to actually ask the tough questions and make the tough choices. That is to live our lives as if this Christian faith is not a product to purchase, but a claim to truth that, if true, radically alters our lives. See, I've come across people who grew up in Christian homes where the parents said one thing and did another. Perhaps they lived on the sidelines of the Christian faith. Perhaps they never really understood it Perhaps they just went along because it was the proper thing. Perhaps they never really heard the gospel. And people tell me, you know, when they argued, they turned up the music so loud their neighbors could not hear instead of stopping arguing. 
We can go through the motions with this Christian thing and live the proper life and decide which product we want to purchase or we can engage with it as it really is a claim to truth. There was a child who was once told by their parents that they should never swear by taking the Lord's name in vain. And the child said, well, but I've heard you say God. And they said, well, I only say God. You know, we can say God when you're praying. But other than that, you mustn't say God's name, you see. And so the child one summer was particularly bothered by some flies buzzing around. And the child just blurted out, oh, God. I can't stand these flies, and looked at the father's face, wrathful, angry, and immediately said, "Um, amen? (laughs) A sort of bumper sticker faith, you know, or or band-aid faith, a a sort of an addition, a moral addition to our lifestyle to make us look proper. I love the story, the visiting Australian evangelist to the Bible boat who saw a bumper sticker saying, honk if you love Jesus, and proceeded whimsically to obey, only to be greeted with a furious frown, so he gave the one way to Jesus sign, to be greeted by a rather different kind of hand signal in response. This is not a product. It's not an addition to a lifestyle. This is a claim to truth that if true, must change our lives. It's a call to put God's word at the heart of everything we do. Not theoretically, but actually. The Bereans lived a long time ago. Their synagogue was probably a place where the word was read out and Paul and Silas made use of that habit to speak to the group gathered around them as visiting rabbis will be accorded the opportunity from time to time to give greetings. They heard the things they said. They really listened. They got involved with it. They took the message seriously because they realized that if it was true, it would change their lives. It means putting God as the foundation of everything. And his word is the grain that runs along the wood of our lives, the rock for our house. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness with our time, our volunteering, our money, our family, our career, everything, if this is true. And if it's not, why bother? It's not a legalistic, don't drink, don't smoke, what do you do? It's like the young man who would travel over land and sea to find the woman he loved. And so when we realize that Christ is Jesus, that Jesus is Christ, that all the Old Testament scriptures point to him, the gospel of grace and truth, this gospel from God of of love shed abroad by his Holy Spirit revealed in Jesus, all that Christ has done for us on the cross is true, is truly true, as Schaeffer would say, that all your guilt and condemnation, if you receive Jesus, you trust him, is gone. 
Wow, wow. Now I live differently. You get involved. You don't just watch the game. You're, you're, you're a part of it. Listen. Be an inspiration. Feed. Evangelize. In other words, Luke is saying, be a class act by being trained in God's word and training others in God's word. Let's pray as we consider these these things together. Father, sometimes it's easy to think maybe these things are not so. That it is not true. We look at the world around and we see suffering. We look at our own lives and we're not sure what we see. We see confusion. We listen to the arguments of secularists or atheists or people on the edge of Christianity. And we wonder whether it really is true. In fact, so turned around do we get by this that we end up talking to you about it. And we realize how how ridiculous that is. Father, you hear our prayers. We cannot but turn to you. You have revealed yourself in Christ through his word. By his spirit you are here. We know it. Father, we are tempted to try and live a life that uh, seems like life. Consumer products and just comfortable existence. And then again, as we come before your word in prayer, we're confronted with the Jesus who says, follow me, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Father, help us to cast off all the burdens that we carry of worry and anxiety, all the idols that we worship of our own success or career or money, and instead, like the Bereans this morning, to enter into the examination of your scriptures to see if these things be so. Did Jesus really come and live, walk on water, die and rise again? Did he really say, no one comes to me except the Father draws him? No man can snatch one of these out of my hand. No one can come to the Father except through 
me, faith in me. As we find the answer is yes. These things really are true. Father, I pray it would change our life. We are moved from sadness to joy. From guilt to freedom. From passivity in church to active involvement in listening and being an inspiration through serving and volunteering. Through training others and raising up the next generation, being trained ourselves to listening on the outside and finding these things are true. And so putting our faith in you. Father, would you by your Spirit transform us this morning to be more and more like those noble Bereans of so long ago with our heart for you and therefore your scriptures. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.